As you're taking your seats, uh, I just kind of wonder, thinking, how was your week? I wonder how your week went. Was it a, a good week? Was it, uh, did it, was it a long week? Did it start out good? Did it kind of end not so good? Or did it start out not so good and maybe end a lot better? How, how was your week? As uh, Dave was speaking up here, I was thinking about that. All of us, <laughs> all of us have weeks, don't we? We all have times that are good, and, and, but, but life can be hard. Life can be a struggle. Life can be difficult. And, and sometimes weeks are good, and then sometimes, well, not so much. And uh, we're going to meet two people today in our narrative that uh, are walking home to Emmaus. And the reason why they're walking home is that their week started out on a huge high and ended on an extreme low. Have you had those weeks? Have you ever experienced that? And as they're walking, they come uh, in contact with a visitor. Now, this journey takes them seven miles uh, and a full day's journey to get them to Emmaus. We're only going to go halfway today. We're only going to go halfway with them, and we're going to finish this up next week. But uh, I, you know, I wanted to just bring us into this because I think there's a thought here. I think there's something that we need to understand on why these men were where they were um, and why they shouldn't have been where they were and what was going on. So let's jump into our text in Luke chapter 24, verse number 13. It says that very day, that very day was the Sabbath, that, or excuse me, was Sunday, first day of the week. The ladies had just gone to the tomb, had just come back and reported, and these guys said, we're out of here. They made that decision to leave, and, and so that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened that week, that had happened, all those things that had happened. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had to just process your week? You just had to talk about it, needed at least someone to hear you. These guys are kind of talking about this as they're going. And while they were walking in this, uh, and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Luke gives us the secret here that it was Jesus that was walking with them, but they didn't see, they didn't know <clears throat> that it was him, which really wasn't weird or strange in that day, especially for a stranger to come up to a couple guys that are walking. They traveled in groups. They traveled in groups on purpose because of safety and stuff like that. So as they're walking and as they're talking, a stranger coming up and participating uh, in what they were doing was no big deal. It was pretty normal for that day. Um, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize that he was the risen Savior. Why did they not recognize? Well, a couple reasons that we understand is, first of all, they were pretty bummed out. They were dealing with grief. They were upset at the circumstances, and we'll see that as we go a little farther in our narrative. And their attention was drawn to their sorrow, right? Doesn't misery love company, right? So as these guys are going down the road to Emmaus, I don't suspect that they were encouraging each other. I suspect that they were helping each other get a little lower and a little lower as they were going. Have you ever explained someone something that you weren't happy about? And they're like, yeah, and then this, and, and yeah, and then that, and then, right? And you kind of go a little farther down, a little farther down, a little farther down. That's how they were going. But most importantly, the scriptures tell us here that their eyes were spiritually blinded. That, that Jesus didn't want to be seen at this point of who he was. He wanted to kind of walk with them there. And Jesus wasn't seen. And so he hears the conversation in verse 17 we see, and he said to them, Jesus speaks to them, he says, what is the conversation that you are holding with each other 
as you walk. Now, let me pause there for a moment because as we're going to see, you need to understand this. He's not asking them, what are you talking about? Because he didn't know what their conversation was. He was walking with them, listening to their conversation, hearing the negativity of what they were talking about, of the events that were taking place. And then he says, give me more detail on what you're talking about. It's like, I don't know what's going on here. And this is why he gets such a strange response from uh, Cleopas, who's, who's one of the disciples here. And it says, and they stood still looking sad. So he saw the depression on them, saw the discouragement on them. And he says, and, and I love this because you've got to read it this way. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? Right? It's not just this idea of, hey, you know, well, you know why, why don't you know this? It's, like, it's more like our statement of this. Have you been living under a rock for a while? Right? How can you not know? Everybody knows. How don't you know what's happening here in Jerusalem? And, and so Cleopas is exasperated because of this. He's like, what, what's going on? And then he said to them, and Jesus responds to them, what things? As if he was completely clueless of what was happening or what was taking place. And these guys were totally bewildered. And so uh, in being used to now talking about this situation and talking about their despair and their discouragement and being upset, they really had no problem going back from the beginning and letting them know, right? You ever feel that way? You ever so discouraged about something that it's almost like you got to tell everybody? Right, they don't even ask you. Jesus at least asked at this point. But they're just like, let me tell you what happened this week, right? And so verse 19, the last part of verse 19 says, And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucify, crucified him. Now, Luke obviously here getting this story is telling us, condensing it for us, doesn't go into all the things that they say, but you know they had seven miles to walk and that's quite a long way to go. I'm sure they gave a lot more detail, Right? I'm sure they brought down everything that was discouraging them and, and upsetting them about these events and what was taking place. But now they come to the heart of the issue. Now they come to where the rubber meets the road. So this is so bad. This Jesus that we were following, the rulers killed him, crucified him. That's bad, but, but that's bad enough. But this is really what really is upsetting us. This is the, the heart of the issue. And look what he says in verse 21. But we had hoped, have you ever said those words? Now this is the hope so part of hope, not, not the hope we talk about as being followers of Jesus. This is the hope so. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, remember that was Peter and John, and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now, you and I read that and go, what's wrong with these guys? Why aren't they so excited? Do you remember when the women came back, what the Bible says? They thought it was an idle tale. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe what the women had said. Peter and John go back. Remember how Peter came back all marveled and upset about what was going on? What does this mean? And that's what's going on in these guys' minds. And it's like, listen, 
everything was great on Monday, but by Friday it was horrible, and now Jesus' body is gone. Someone stole him. Someone took him. We don't know. He said something about a resurrection, but we have no proof. We don't know what's going on. This is crazy. I'm out of here. I'm done. I don't believe anymore. Do you realize that's where they were? Not only were they discouraged, they had quit. They had given up. They were walking away. They were like, I'm out of here. I'm going back to Emmaus, and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I do not believe in this anymore. I am discouraged, and I've lost my faith. And why? Why were these disciples so discouraged? Listen carefully. Because in their minds and in their hearts, Jesus let them down. You get that? In their hearts and in their minds, they believe that Jesus let them down. He was supposed to redeem Israel. He was supposed to overthrow the Roman oppressors. We were supposed to rule with him. Our lives were supposed to completely change for the better. Instead, he got himself killed. That's what they were saying. He wouldn't have said those one things to those Pharisees, right? You ever go through that? Why did he say this? Why did he do that? You ever go back and start looking back over things going, why did this happen? Why, the, why would he? He got himself killed. Now his body is stolen or gone or something. Jesus didn't accomplish anything that he said he was going to. His kingdom was supposed to be now, and now there's no kingdom at all. He failed. Jesus failed. It's exactly where they were. Let me ask you this question. Can you relate to that? Can you, have you ever had something happen in your life and you feel like God failed you? You ever have something happen in your life that you thought was going to happen a certain way and it didn't happen that way, so you thought God wasn't there, didn't care, didn't hear, didn't listen, didn't do, that God actually failed you in this? If so, and we have all been there, I'm positive it's for the exact same reason why these disciples were so discouraged. In his book uh, entitled The Seven Seasons of uh, a Man's Life, Patrick Morley wrote this, and I want you to see this quote. It'll be on the screen for you. He says this, There is a God we want, and there is a God who is, and they are not the same. And the turning point in our, of our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. You see, these disciples expected Jesus to be something else. They expected Jesus to do things and to act and react and, and the, the outcome to be different because that's what they expected and that's what they wanted Jesus to do. And when it didn't happen, when it didn't take place, they gave up. They quit. They, if you'll let me use this term, lost their faith. You see, this is the world's biggest problem with God. Did you know that? Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard this question or a question like this? If God is such a loving and powerful God, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Have you ever heard that? I mean, if God is loving as He says He is, and if God is powerful as He says He is, why in the world is there suffering? And this is the number one question that atheists use to try to prove that there is no God. How can a good and powerful God allow suffering to take place? And at face value, this seems 
kind of logical, but the problem is this. They don't understand or, listen now, will not accept. They will not accept two important truths, and they are this. Number one, our sin, yours, mine, our sin caused the suffering, not God. Suffering only came into this world because man chose sin over God. Do you realize that suffering and death were not normal to God's plan? We say that the end of life, the normal end of life is death. Do you know that that's not what God's original plan was? That if we did not choose sin, that we would have never experienced death. If we wouldn't have chosen sin, we would have never experienced suffering. So that's on us. And the other truth that they don't understand is that God is the only one that can take the suffering that we deal with in our life and turn it and use it for good. You see. So in other words, why doesn't a God of love and a God of power wipe away all evil? And I thought this was a great question and I have a great answer. I wish I would have thought about it, but I didn't. Uh, Frank Turek is an apologist and he makes this statement. He says, the reason why a God of love and a God of power doesn't wipe away all evil is because if God wiped away all evil, he might start with you. You see, when we look at evil in the world, we look at the evil that happens all around us and to everybody else and happens around what's going on. We never remember or realize or think about the fact that our sin contributes to the evil of the world, you see. So the point that's being made here is that the God they want is not the God of the Bible. Nowhere in Scripture does God promise ease, comfort, and no suffering on this earth. Rather, he said the exact opposite. Jesus' words is this, you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, you will have suffering, you will have pain, you will struggle in this world, but take Heed that I have overcome the world. See. But the truth is, is that we're no different. We're no different than these atheists here because here's what happens in our lives. We easily and often put God in a box of our own design, don't we? <laughs> we may never say it out loud, but we do. We look at the circumstances of our lives. We look at the situations that we're going through. We look through what we're walking through and, and how things are going. And we make a plan on how we want God to work in our circumstances. And even pray, God, please do something. Work here. Do this. The whole time in our heart, we have a plan. The whole time in our heart, we have a way that we want this to go. And really what we're praying is, God, do it the way that I want it done. God, figure this out the way that I want it figured out. I've got it all uh, planned out. I've got the, the best scenario. Isn't this exactly what these disciples did? Listen, Jesus never hid the fact that he was going to the cross. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us in chapter 18 that he told him exactly, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be scourged, I'm going to be hung on a cross, I'm going to die. I know, you know this is going to happen. You knew it was going to happen. And what did they believe? Nope, he's coming to redeem Israel, and we're going to overthrow the Roman government, and we're going to have his kingdom now. <laughs> totally opposite, right? 
And why were they discouraged? Because they believed, listen now, they believed that their way was the best way. But how many of you know that if Jesus never went to the cross, we would have no hope? Their way condemned everyone to hell. But they thought it was right. They thought this is what he's supposed to do. This is how it's supposed to go. And because he didn't do it my way, that I'm done. I'm not going to follow him anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. The greatest source of discouragement and loss of faith for believers is because we do not believe that God is working things out in our life for good and he's not doing it the way that we want to. So we get frustrated, we throw up our hands and we say, God, you're not doing anything, I'm out of here. Right? I have hundreds upon hundreds of people I can tell you that have walked away from their faith because of that very reason. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're sitting there going, man, I started off here, but, but now I'm here, and I feel like God's nowhere. I started off here, and now I'm here, and it feels like God isn't doing anything. I started off here, and now I'm here, and nothing remotely looks like it's going to work out the way I think it should work out. Do you agree with me? This world's a mess. Maybe you're dealing with something that you need God to do for you, and you know how it should be done, but God, God hasn't worked that way yet. Will you take courage? Will you take courage today? Because I want to give you a truth. Guess what? God's thoughts are not your thoughts. And his ways are not your ways. Isaiah 55, the prophet Isaiah tells us this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heaven, heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, that verse does not mean that God is not working. It means that God is working on your behalf for what is best for you. Our minds don't think. We think we know what is best. These disciples thought they knew what was best. And if Jesus did what these disciples wanted, every single one of us would be crying out in the pit of hell right now. You see, their best <laughs> was our worst. But God is working everything out according to what is best best it means that he is working out what you what is good for you it means that he loves you it means that he's with you he has not abandoned you just because you look at the circumstances is not working out the way that you want it to work out according to the things that you think doesn't mean that God has walked away what it means is this Proverbs tells us a very famous verse that you know it means the trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Did you realize that leaning on your own understanding is meaning that you want God to do what you want? Leaning on your own understanding means I figured it out, God. I've got the plan. This is the best plan ever. This is the way to do it. God, you do it. And he goes, hmm, I don't think like you think. 
I don't see what you see. I see better than you see. I'm stronger than you are. I'm smarter than you are. But what? In all your ways, acknowledge Him. The God who is. And He will make straight your paths. Trust in the God who is. And He will carry you. Last slide this morning, and I wrote it this way on purpose, don't trust in the little g God you want because that's a false God. Trust in the God who is. Will you stand with me in God's house today? Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for working on our behalf. Thank you for the fact that your thoughts are not ours and your ways are not ours. And God, that you have a love that is so outrageous for us that in our life you are working even when we can't see it. And you are working in a way that is absolutely best for us. And so Father, take us now this week in all that we face and all that we deal with and help us to trust in the God who is and not in the God we want. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Remember the shepherds will be out. Visit with them, if you will. Thank you.